0: Happening now, we'd like to welcome our viewers from the United States and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room for October 19th, 2016. This is Wes Fryer coming from Oklahoma City, and I am very excited that we have both of our guests on, even though... We have gotten some bailing wire and some string out to, to make this work. I am wearing an OU shirt, not because I have changed affiliations or our children are going to OU, but just because it was, the. I know, Rachel's shocked. Uh, it was just the top shirt on my T-shirt stack in my closet. So anyway, uh, I was feeling conspicuous about that, but there wasn't time to change. So I am the director of technology at the Cassidy School, and I'm going to throw it all the way up to Maine and to, I think, Kinnebunk or Kinnebunkport?
1: Actually, sure. now I'm in South Portland.
0: You're in South Portland. Well, yes. Welcome. <laughs> Tell us about yourself and what, what you're up to these days.
1: Hi, everybody. I feel like I'm having a, a re something back into podcasting. This is so much fun. And thank you, Wes, for having me on the show. And I am the instructional technology integrator at Yarmouth High School in Yarmouth, Maine, uh, and still cranking along just received our apple distinguished high school award so that's pretty exciting and uh gosh i don't know i'm just busy geeking out how long have you all been one-to-one alice since 2004 is our first year so that's pretty exciting some cool stuff
0: happening absolutely absolutely well, very good. Well, you want to send it to, am I going to guess Wells? Is that where you're, you are tonight, Cheryl?
2: Yes, it is. And this is Cheryl Oaks, and I'm in Wells, like with the mailing line, hooking me together through the phone and, uh, I don't know what is going on in the, uh, universe on that. but I'm a high school special education teacher and I also do a lot with technology trying to level the playing field for challenged learners, and
0: I'm happy to be here. Absolutely, and for the record, I was thinking about this, you know, getting started, Uh, you all were certainly some of the first educational podcasters I ever listened to with Seedlings and have been inspirations for years, and uh, we've been so thankful to get to come up to Maine a few times, and uh, you know, you all have just been on the forefront of educational technology for a long, long time, so I'm very thankful to call you all friends and to uh, continue to learn with you all. So, for those of you, we do. It says two viewers. I think that may that may just be you and me, Allison. <laughs> uh, sometimes we do have oh, some I live viewers. I saw Peggy George in um, some comments that she was waiting to listen in. Yes, Peggy is usually a, 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 a live viewer, and we we have a few folks that have tuned in. Uh, but for those of you that wherever you happen to be in place, in space and time, most folks who are listening to the show are doing so after the fact. Uh, this is the EdTech Situation Room. You can find us on edtechsr.com. You can click the link at the top that is cryptically named links, and there you'll find the show notes for any of the resources that we plan to talk about or the ones that we happen to that we'll put in during the show or afterwards. And uh, generally, uh, Jason Neifer, who is from uh, Missoula, Montana, is uh, my co-host, but Jason has been on assignment, as it was, uh, the last uh, week and, and for next week as well, and so I've had a chance to, um, oh, look at that, <laughs> oh. oh, but he's muted, okay, that's, okay, Cheryl, but, you're, but we can see you, that's good, but it, but it won't, I'll have to click on you because it won't automatically go to you, um, <laughs> With the audio, but that's okay. As you start to talk, we will we'll switch we'll switch over. So, you know, before we jump into the article, Carol, tell us how things used to be for the web the web. when the web heads? Is that web you? heads? How how tough was that back in the day? Wasn't that just like five years ago or something? Yeah, oh my god! Seems like it was yesterday. It was you know what? My speaker. Okay. I, um, there you go.
2: Okay. So years ago, and although it feels like yesterday, you know, we
0: would have these glitches. Oh, we yeah, are having some echo. Let me, let me see if I can mute my mic while you're talking, and that may eliminate yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Is that Oh, that's not gonna work, cause your, your audio is coming through here. Well, that's weird. Now we're getting echo. Darn it. Is that better? Yes.
2: Okay. All right. So I'll talk
0: through
2: my phone. Okay. Keep it away. Yeah. Maybe my microphone is working
0: then. I don't know. That's weird. Your computer weird. Okay. Right. So tell us about WebHeads. What was it like just a few short years ago when you were trying to do this kind of thing? Well,
2: first of all, the biggest thing that I had to um, wrap my head around was The, the world, because I would be speaking to people in Paris or people in Brazil, um, people in Japan, and we always met on Sundays at noon time, Eastern Standard Time, and so that was a way that the web had committed to one another to to make contact to practice English. So it was really for English language learners, and um, it was managed with Van um, Stevens and online free technology courses for basically for English language learner instructors.
0: Was that how you did the the webcasting where you? Where you had to hook up SoundCloud, or not SoundCloud, uh, <laughs> what was that thing called? Soundflower and all of that. And you had to, be, that was so convoluted. Broke,
1: what? broke the
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So I was thinking about going through that class, but I never did. And thankfully Google, you know, released Hangouts. and. <laughs> right. We had like yeah. three different
1: things we had to do to get started, Right. Like, we'd have to line everything up, literally, the sound, the Skype call, and something else.
0: And then it would be like, one, two, three, go! <laughs> so we're going to sound really old to people and not very long, you know, talking about these old days. I remember in the early 2000s at Texas Tech when I was there... You know, we had student teachers taking videos of them teaching and to to get that video online on the QuickTime streaming server and people had to have the plug in. And, mo- you know, even when you did all this work, no one even looked at it. I mean, it was it was crazy. So, OK, well, yeah. let's let's uh, let's jump into a, a question or, or an article and uh, we'll just kind of share a little bit about it and. Um, the first one I wanted to to mention was from Ad Week, which I've never even heard of before, so hopefully it's a legitimate source um, from October fourteenth and the title was Snapchat beats Instagram and Facebook as the top social platform for teens and so i'll throw this one to you alice first how how have you all seen at high school um, social media use morph and and do you all block all those things or how do you guys how are you seeing this trend line happen at Yarmouth High School?
1: So uh we used to block Facebook, um, mostly because of bandwidth, not because we didn't want kids on it, but so now we have nothing blocked. Um I, I mean outside of CIPA and COPA, obviously. But um kids, it's actually funny that this question came up because I asked kids the other day. Um, we were doing a project and what is the best tool for that project and we said should we have a Facebook page and they looked at us like we had three heads too old. Uh, The adults are on that basically. Um, They love Snapchat but they don't think it's a good tool for school because that's where their friends are. They love Instagram but They think it's not a great way to do a school-wide project or something like that because of, because of the way you have to follow people. So it doesn't have great privacy settings. And in terms of Twitter, they like Twitter, but they feel like Twitter is the news feed. Like they get all their news and their information from Twitter. So the, the basically, I think what what kids think is that Snapchat and Instagram are their personal things that they use. Twitter is their news feed, if you will. Uh, and Facebook only if they have to
0: go to, a, like, a group. Now, how about you, Cheryl? How old are the kids? How does social media fit into their lives? Well,
2: we're working with students the same age as the high school, grade 9, 30. and um we use Facebook and Twitter for our school news, for instant news going out to the community. The students, obviously, are not there. They are in, the, in Snapchat, and Snapchat is not streaming to um, Facebook. I think the kids are also using Instagram, but like Alice said, they not Follow certain people, and it's not—I um, don't know—it's
0: not a good feed. We this is the first year yeah. we've unblocked Snapchat at school, uh, and we have a social media director who you know documents things, and and she wanted to have a Snapchat skin I'm gonna shift sound really old because I do I mean I have to ask my kids to teach me this stuff too it's the only time we the reason I got on snapchat was that's that's where Alexander our son has been and it, there was more more communication with him you know via snapchat anyway um, it's I I definitely think it's hard to help students and I'm, I'm thinking of pre-service teachers that I've worked with you know university make the shift of seeing for instance Twitter as a Tool something they just use personally, um, and that's, anyway, that's it's, it's not a natural that, that, that kids do that or that make that, make that kind of sweet. So um, this the, the article said that of so surveyed, eighty percent of the teens use Snapchat monthly, seventy nine percent are on Instagram monthly, and fifty two percent use Facebook monthly. So that are saying that still half of them you know used it. Um, but definitely the majority of, majority of the use is on the Chat and, uh, Instagram. Um, Cheryl, do you, do you all block any of those things at school or how does that handle filtering-wise? No, we
2: don't, we don't block any of that.
0: Do you think that's common in Maine as far as a more open approach to filtering or are you all outliers? Uh, I, I really don't know. I, I don't know
2: if it's 50-50 or...
1: Alice, do you have a I sense of that? I think 50-50 probably. I think, I think many schools are, are unblocking, but I, I would say many still do block. I, I mean, I've heard a lot right. of blocked.
0: Right. Okay. Alright. Well, um, the, the next article, I think I'm gonna actually skip that one, the, the one of the future without jobs. It's a pretty powerful one, but I wanna go to the Google one, um, because I know you are both very, uh, you know, have been very intensely involved with Google Certified Teachers and Google Summits and all of that kind of stuff. The article is from the the Google official Cloud blog, September 29th. Oh, look! And I didn't even link the article. I, I linked. Well, maybe I maybe I link. Maybe it is linked on the. I linked the wrong thing. It's called all together now introducing G Suite. It may be the most recent post that they've got there. Um, do you all want to tell a little bit about what you have done with Google and then bring us up to date? I don't know if you all are still doing. Googley things with uh, ed edtech team or with uh, summits or, or whatever. Cheryl, you wanna wanna start on your Google updates terms of what you're doing. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm gonna uh, hang on just a second. I'm gonna try to turn yeah. off my speaker and turn it back on. I don't know why my phone's there's off back on. Okay, try now. So I am a Google certified teacher now. Oh,
2: Google wow. certified innovator and I still like to promote the Google tools. So I recently um, presented for our adult education. And um, that was kind of interesting because five people showed up for a Google class with a bag of paper, no laptops. And I was pretty shocked. So I went and got a bunch of Chromebooks books and said, what, you know, we're going to use for this class. So it was, it, that was like a throwback ten years ago. You know, trying to teach people how to use technology without having it in their hands. And then two weeks ago, I was invited to Yarmouth and I um, presented two different times on digital tools for challenged learners. And it was mainly, um, uh, Special teachers, speech language people, and they were really excited to learn about the tools that I use with my students.
0: And I just okay. had a thought you have your headset still your headphones why don't you try to plug that into your phone because that are you still are you getting a little echo if you plug that no. in into your phone that might if that if that has uh, a microphone as well well I bet it does and then yeah then you're gonna do oh. your earbuds And then turn. yeah, yeah. Okay. well yeah okay good I'm not yeah. hearing the echo is that okay yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Woohoo! More bailing wire, more duct tape. We're gonna keep rolling. <laughs> so tell me, because I saw the hashtag for that. So that was a Yarmouth High School um, professional development day. Yeah. Okay. Right. to go. Very good. Yeah. Alice, tell us about your goog- your googly. My bio- oh, my
1: googly stuff. Um. Well, Cheryl and I went to California this summer for the Google Geo Institute Ooh. in Mountain View. That was so much fun. Um, we spent a couple extra days in San Francisco, uh, and then we spent um, two days at Google um, geeking out on their geography tools, um, uh, my maps. We used uh, – oh, my gosh, here goes my memory. What else did we do, Cheryl? We did my maps. We did some uh, – oh, the virtual, uh, yeah, um, and expeditions, expeditions, yeah. And cardboard. Yes. Yeah. So, and that was really fun because it was, um, we were in teams, and it was just a really nicely done session. And then I've been doing some ed tech team. I actually went to San Francisco two weeks later and did another Google Summit. Then I did the Google Summit uh, at our high school in August which Cheryl came up for as well. So, yeah, we've been doing some lots of Google goodness.
0: That's great. And did you all um, see my Montana friends? Um,
1: yes, the, we did, Jeff.
0: Yep, yep.
1: Jeff. And. I'm trying to pull all up names. Right. This is why.
0: <laughs> we're, just, we're just showing our age all over this show, baby. We ain't 25 anymore. <laughs> Uh, anyway that you know that's what I drove or I drove that's what I flew to Lewiston to uh go to a few years back was the Geo Institute that was the first time I had ever um actually held a Chromebook and that whole thing of boot in eight seconds I was like the Jerry Maguire you had me at eight seconds you know because that was (laughs) so amazing And that was also the the time that they had the guy who wrote the the fourth part of the world, which is an amazing geography book. And they had had two of those. They had one in Washington, where that's the based on the Waldseemuller map, which is the most expensive thing the the Library of Congress has ever bought ten million dollars first map to ever put the word America on North America. Anyway, that's an amazing book, and oh, I would I love that. So I would. I just love the, the the geo stuff. So, are you have you brought some of that back to Yarmouth, um, Alice? As far as uh, you have some geo projects going with teachers, uh,
1: mostly expeditions. We did expeditions uh, with an iPad since it's come out now for the iPad. Um, the one of the history teachers was doing absolutism with Louis the Fourteenth the other day. So to be able to take the kids right to Versailles was Awesome. And the kids, these are sophomores. They thought it was so cool. Now, did they use their phones
0: and did you have them install it early?
1: Yes. Okay.
0: Because that's been my challenge. I, I bought some of the, the plastic, you know, Google Cardboard, but not having high-end touches, um, I've just had trouble getting my act together with students, having them pre-install so that it's, you know, because some of it we were trying to do the clouds over Sidra. Uh, United Nations, you know, refugee story from Syria, which is wonderful, but it's over a gig in size. Or if you tried to stream that on our, on our student network, anyway, the bandwidth is. So that, that's one of those things that, that we have yet to, I think, realize the exciting potential of. So,
1: so I was very impressed with the way Expeditions worked because the kids downloaded the Expeditions app, but the Expeditions actually live on the iPad. That the teacher has to control the um, what the kids are doing, and I did it. I did it on our network, and so basically, I did pre-download the Versailles Expedition, but the kids did the downloading right there in class. So at the <laughs> beginning of class, the teacher said, "Download this app." And then they put, the, they put on their cardboards and she controlled the experience, but it was super, very flawless because, and I, I think it's because the kids weren't really, like they were using the iPad. I mean, they were connecting to the iPad.
0: So maybe there was some local stuff going on on the network, maybe that wasn't all going out.
1: Yeah, it doesn't go out. I don't. I mean, I don't feel like the kids are accessing the network; they're just accessing the iPad.
0: Wow. Okay. So you've inspired me to, to give this a shot with some of our we we um, discourage use in middle school of phones, but at, at high school, pretty much, you know, everyone has them. So I'm gonna I'm gonna visit with some folks and give that a try. Cause I was it this summer that went out of beta and a thing everybody could do as far as expertise.
1: Yeah, I, I think that it was out for Android. Now, now the iPad just came out a couple of weeks ago. And okay. I thought I put it off because I thought it was going to take some setup. It took me 10 minutes to set it up.
0: Oh, that's great. Cheryl, uh, what was the highlight of, of the Geo Institute for you this summer? Um, uh, I really liked,
1: um, uh, how
2: you could take history and make it come alive with, um, the Google Earth and um, GeoMap, and so that's what I've really been um, hoping that we could promote that in our U.S. history class or in our World After class. We're working on our curriculum right now, and there was something that came up in, um, about geography, and then I mentioned that I went to Mountain View, and that kind of caught people's attention. Oh, well, we should do something with that.
0: So. Uh, back to your your adult Google class that you taught. What, besides um, I don't know, having the Chromebooks in advance or, or encouraging them to bring them in advance? Any other lessons learned from from teaching Google to uh, adults that are not not as familiar with the tools? Um, I think the, the big takeaway for them was the collaborative nature of
2: all of the calendar, the Docs and She, you know, there was one businesswoman with, that was there, and um, you know, she has a, a lumber business and a hardware store, and really likes the ledger. And she, you know, really tried to make herself use technology. But the collaborative pieces of the Google suite are what really caught her attention. That she doesn't have to do this alone; she can do it with others. And then for the adults. Many adults and staff were there, and they really liked collaborative calendars. That really made a difference for them. Because they, they were still using um, Safari and Firefox. So.
0: Oh, good. Good. Well, we will go a little bit past the top of the hour since we uh, were a little delayed getting started. I don't know if I have actually have a timer. Usually we go uh, about an hour, and we'll save time for Geeks of the Week. So Geeks of the Week. We'll about some seedlings, and the tradition continues. But uh, I want to take us to this article, which, which um, whether you have read it or not, this is one of those things that we can all probably conjecture and talk about. And so the, the, the name of the article is Why We Need to Plan for a future without jobs, and this was an interview with a guy named Andy Stern uh, from Vox on October seventeenth. So my question, and I'm going to throw this to Alice, well, I'll, either of you, and maybe you've already looked at the map and, and uh, seen it, but do either of you know what the most common job in 2014 was in the state of Maine and in the state of Oklahoma? I thought it was interesting that we share this. Any guesses? Was it
1: called, in the article? Should I? Uh, oh, okay. Good well, look at it, but I, do you know. Go ahead, I didn't Cheryl. Bumper, but then if it's the same as
0: Oklahoma,
2: I wouldn't think that Oklahoma was bumper.
0: Yeah. So it's shared by 29 states. This is the 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 most common job in 29 states: truck driving, truck driving, I mean, truck driving. Yes. So I actually listen. This is I find a lot of articles that I don't fully read at the moment I find them. Um, but I'll, I'll, uh, either read them or listen to them on Pocket. And this isn't a geek of the yeah. week, but if people don't know about Pocket, it is a great tool that will let you save articles. And what I love being in the it, is now it will read to you. So I was cooking the spaghetti for my, my girls tonight and, uh, pressed on my phone, you know, read to me. Anyway, so I listened to this article and, <clears throat> When Andy Stern uh, is the author of a, of a book um, uh, called Rise, Raising the Floor, How a Universal Basic Income Can Renew Our Economy and Rebuild the American Dream. And he's saying that a ton of the anger that we see now in the election, both on the right as well as the left, has to do with a lot of frustration that people have over how the economy is not working for a lot of folks and that this is just going to get worse And basically it makes me think of Luddites and those folks who've really protested industrialization, but he's saying that, that artificial intelligence and technology and, and think about Google and self-driving cars. He's predicting with, within five to 10 years, we're going to have a significant disruption in the trucking industry, which is the large, which is the, the the most common job in 29 U.S. states right now, um, because the industry is just going to save millions and millions of dollars through automation. It doesn't mean that trucking and being a truck driver is going to go away. I mean, we're certainly reliant on trucks. But this this article jarred me in a way that really reminded me of the world is flat and listening to Angus King because when – and I I remember – Listening with my dad in the car to a talk Angus had given, I think, at Actum, probably, that Bob had recorded, uh, you know, telling about the world is flat, telling about how, uh, you know, he realized uh, that that things had to change in Maine, you know, with laptops. So anyway, this, I really would encourage everybody to read this article. And, uh, it, you know, he's not espousing communism, but what he's saying is, Right now with our welfare state, I mean, we have a, we have a ton of giveaway that we have and that there's, there are lots of ways to, to, um, to work and to have a, a satisfying life that don't involve just getting a wage. Like how about raising a family, you know, or being an artist or doing other things? <clears throat> and he's saying that the economy is just going to continue to really profit folks at the top. And, well, he talks about successful ones in the center and then there's a lot of folks on the edges and that this is really, it's a rethinking of the Protestant work ethic, which is kind of ingrained as almost a religion, you know, in our nation. And he's advocating that we need to provide a basic income for everyone. And then, um, I don't know, I mean, I haven't read the book, but it, it, he's saying that it's going to get a lot worse rather than better as far as artificial intelligence and technology and all this. So as somebody who is fairly optimistic about technology, um, although we've had some interesting conversations about surveillance and, you know, privacy and, and things like that. Um, I'll just open that up to either of you to jump in. Any thoughts about those those topics?
1: Alice, do you want to jump in? Or? Well, I just was going to say the one quote that stood out for me was our concept of work is problematic. And that actually also made me think of Thomas Friedman and the world is flat this is this is another big shift another big disruption in how we think about it only it's happening faster than the last time
0: correct correct yeah and and catching us i mean we've heard i've heard and i'm sure you all you know the Allen Novembers, the Ian Jukes, the futurists, you know, that will tell us about Moore's Law and how many decades it took for televisions to be adopted and then CDs came and all this. And, and so we are living in that elbow of exponential change. But, you know, try to be optimistic and, and think about what Richard Riley did this as Secretary of Education, some quote about, how many jobs will you know the kids will have in the future that haven 't been invented yet, and we hear people banter that kind of thing around and there certainly are opportunities, but there 's also you know we needed we needed a random way to assign students to lunch tables this year, and so <clears throat> I know about this website called Fiverr, where basically you can pay five bucks and have people do lots of coding well, we ended up paying twenty two dollars but that somebody in India you know, wrote a, a quick Google script that randomly takes the kids, makes sure that uh, there's no one at the same table or no, obviously they're not the same table, that they haven't been at that table before uh-huh. and there's no more than nine students at the table. I'm about to contact him again and say, but wait, we need to make sure we only have no more than three people in the same grade level because some, some, some of that wasn't balanced. So it makes me think, you know, the world is flat. There are these coding opportunities, but but that guy's not getting rich from me, you know, doing the coding. Right. And so, anyway, what what are oh. your girl? Well, you know, when I looked at the what was
2: it the UBI? What? I can't remember what it stands for. But it's, oh, the
0: universal uh, basic uh, basic, income. Basic, yeah.
2: basic income. Yeah. Basic income. Yeah. And it made me think of um livable wage and I. I don't know if it's Harvard or Cambridge really talks about that concept that you know professors, custodians, food service, door um, maintenance workers should have a livable wage. It shouldn't be lopsided. And so you know I thought well you know that makes sense. And then when he talked about um, if we don't do this, we're going to be headed towards the hunger game. And yeah, that I think. Kids will relate to that. Um, adults will relate to that. You know, we just don't want to limit ourselves. And if you listen to um, a couple of our um, candidates for uh Senate positions in Maine, they're talking about how we've lost all these jobs in the woods, how we've lost all these jobs for um, shoe manufacturing, and uh, that uh, the, the people who've had those jobs were just, they walked off the list and that was it, there wasn't anything to replace that. And my thought is after, you know, looking at a little bit of this article, it, you know, we need to think out of the box and I think Maine has specifically um, empowered people to be entrepreneurs and, you know, to start a sausage business, start the whole class um, it's not just the main New England thing. It's, you know, it's gone all through the state. Everybody is, um, you know, taking some of their, um, spots, some of their entrepreneurial spirit, and, and providing for those local jobs <laughs> and very successful and expanding to more. So I think, it, you know, it's power to the people. It's not waiting for, um, a paper company to come in and, you know, make thousands and hundreds of millions of dollars and then all of a sudden leave and the people are responsible. So I, I think it, you know, I think we, we need to have students and this was Angus King's vision that we have to have problem solvers, we have to have critical thinkers, we have to have kids who will be able to collaborate across time and space. I think his vision of having like the whole state of Maine, all the students have that opportunity. It was equal. It's almost like that UBI, mm-hmm. um, universal basic income. Everybody had the same tool.
0: Yeah. Well, I, a couple of thoughts I have. You know, my wife Shelly, we um, we could really not teach in more different schools and work in more different schools because. Our school is, is phenomenal. It is wonderful. And our, our youngest daughter is attending now as a seventh grader. I love my school, um, but it is an expensive school to attend. It's the most expensive school in our entire state to attend. And um, as Shelly works with with mothers, mainly of homeless children at, at Positive Tomorrows downtown, there are so many stories that I hear that, that we don't blog about, that we can't publicly talk about. But one of the biggest things is just, you know, how, how do we help folks who are really um, in, in some of the most challenging situations you could possibly imagine because of, uh, of sexual abuse, because of violence, because of incarceration, because of drug addiction? I mean, you go down the list and, and they're all there. Um, their school is a is a shining light and a beacon, and it's a lot like that. That whole story of the starfish, you know, the guys picking up starfish on the beach, like, why are you doing that? There's all well, you know what? It makes a difference for the starfish. I mean, there are kids that that it makes a difference for, and and I know that education has a huge role to play. But I also this article makes me think about economics, and and I've had this thought for a while too that, that just like we've got to think out of the box and not just assume the status quo is what we we need forever. Um, I do not know how many constitutional questions we have right now in Oklahoma. And as we're in the election and hearing about all these, you know, it struck me that we don't have any federal ones, you know? And so Larry Lessig is somebody who I've, known about because of Creative Commons and copyright and, and some of the work he's done with media. And I know he was he was trying to, to run up for the for the Democratic ticket. And he's done work for the Sunlight Foundation and looking at campaign finance. But anyway, this if nothing else, this article would be a great writing prompt for kids. And you could really have some good conversations because he's talking about prospective ways to address what we're seeing the um, we try to steer clear of politics on the EdTech situation room for the right. most part. It's a little hard to do. <laughs> In fact, isn't the third debate going on? maybe it's going on right now? This is a lot better thing yeah. probably to do than watch that. Yeah. But um, yeah. you know, this whether or not these specific proposals are going to be adopted or not, this guy is talking about fundamental things that involve technology. They involve you know artificial intelligence and disruption and 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 so I'm excited to actually listen to this book and and it's interesting that you all make connections with with the world as flat and Friedman because that book for me was a was a major paradigm changer yeah. and one that I you know continue to think about and continues to shape a lot of what i uh, how I see technology and our role as teachers and trying to you know bring kids into the opportunities that will be there for stem careers and and coding and yeah. all kinds of things like that. Okay. Any other, any other thoughts about that? Well, I
1: just sort of had been thinking, you know, the, the whole piece about the, the, the sort of bandwagon about jobs that didn't exist. But in fact, I think that what our role in education is, is to give kids the tools that will allow them to be flexible enough to be the problem solvers so that they can go on and start to really think about how are they going to solve some of these big big deep problems right. and and I just think we have to keep giving them as many new different opportunities which means we have to take a little bit of a risk in our teaching practice but I I I hope that we're really getting to a place where, where the fact that kids can think differently about what jobs are.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh That's right. And we need to think about the role that, that healthcare and taxes and everything plays because from 2009 to 2013, I attempted and I did to be an independent consultant and, um, I probably should have stopped doing that a lot sooner than I did because only now are we literally not to be self too self-disposing, but I mean the the tax burden, if you don't set aside a ton of money when you're independent, then you get yourself into a really big hole that can be hard to dig out of. And if my wife hadn't been, you know, insured and I couldn't be on her insurance, I mean, either you're not insured or, or whatever. So, um, I definitely agree that, I mean, there's a lot of energy in the maker movement and and talking about STEM and STEAM, but on a very practical level, it is hard to be an independent entrepreneur. I was listening to an NPR today driving home that was talking about Airbnb, and it reminded me of Elon Musk because one of these founders of Airbnb was talking about living poor as a single guy eating ramen, which I've heard Elon Musk talk about. I mean, there are when there's a time when you can do that, but it shouldn't just be 24 year olds who can eat nothing but ramen. to get to make these great companies, right? Yeah. It should, yeah. you know, you should be able to reinvent yourself and and be empowered to do that at all stages of life. So. Yeah. Good stuff to chew on. Well, um, it is a little bit after the top of the hour. I, know that we probably will spend at least 10 or 15 minutes getting our bailing wire and duct tape all strung together tonight so we could bring you this awesome show. Um, and for the record, we've had pretty good success with YouTube live. So, um, but who knows? It's all like other things. Sometimes it's always different every time you log in. So um, I, I want to go back because I forgot to ask it on the, on the Google um, article. Why do you all think Google went to G suite instead of, of Google apps two weeks ago, Jason and I, kind of did a recap of a lot of the Google events when they announced the pixel and, and some of these changes. And we, I read um, that at the event, Google had talked about seeing AI as the next really big thing. You know, mobile is playing a role, but AI is really big. So my, my guess is that it has to do with Google wanting to be seen as more than the apps, but you all are, are you all are Google more Googly than me? So do you all have a thought on why it's now the G suite?
1: Somebody decided they needed to rebrand. I don't know. What do you think, Cheryl? Um, I don't know. I, I, I
2: think they needed to uh, do a little bit more marketing because what I explained to the people who showed up to my Google class with a pad of paper and a pencil is that, you know, Google sold this to... For education, this is one login that gives you all the software that you need, um, and so maybe they just needed to reinvent that concept that open the door. If you have a calendar, the docs, the spreadsheet, you can blog, you can do presentations. Um, everything lives in that one place.
0: Well, um, I it. go ahead, Alison.
1: Oh, just, I was just going to say, well, in the, in the outside of, of a business that uses the Google tools and outside of the education that many people don't even know that set of tools exists, even if they have a Gmail account. So I wonder if that is one piece. And then the other might be, honestly, everybody got confused between GAFE and GAF. And, you know, that was sort of unwieldy. So, you know, you sort of wonder if all these things didn't pile up. And the suite makes sense that it means that there's more than Gmail, basically, and search.
0: Well, and and definitely a big thing that's coming that we talked about a little bit is the the, uh, merger of the Google Play Store with Chromebooks. And so the potential for Chromebooks to... You know, have a touch interface. Some already do, uh, but to bring that the store to that, and and I do not want to get you in trouble with any of your Apple friends, as I will not go into the details of. But I have gotten myself in trouble saying um, I, I said the word netbook too often in two thousand nine that they made some people angry. But uh, would any any thoughts that you all want to share as far as how how Chromebooks fit in? And I mean, we have MacBooks for all of our faculty right now. We're looking at refreshing. Well, in the next year and a half, we're going to have 90 refreshes at our elementary and our, and our middle school. And so we're looking at what are we going to get? And we had a conversation this week. And if anyone's listening, no decisions have been made. These are just conversations. <laughs> but you know, what would that look like if we did a Chromebook and an iPad, you know, versus just a thousand a, a dollar MacBook Pro? Um, what are, what are your thoughts about where Chromebooks fit into all of this? Because you all are very, very, you, 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 like me, I think can, I can fairly say this. Have drank Google Kool Aid and the Apple Lemonade, and they both taste, you know, yep. good, and you enjoy being able to have them both. So, any yep. thoughts on, on where Google fits in in Chromebooks in the landscape of your schools? Well, at my school, we have Chromebooks.
2: The faculty has um, the Macs, and our students use Chrome and. Um, it was interesting you know, when I was at the Yarmouth, Google, the Yarmouth and found a workshop, I would mention a, a Chrome tool, and the teachers, some of the teachers would say, well, the MacBook can do that. The MacBook can do that. And my point is that if you are in Google Chrome, and your student goes home and uses Google Chrome, they take all of the tools that they had in school, versus... If I'm in Pages, or I'm in iPhoto, or I'm in Numbers, I have to have a couple of steps before I can export it in a format that I'm going to be able to So So, um, you know, we're, we're blending, we have MacBooks, and we also have iPads, but the majority of what, majority of what goes into students' hands are the Chromebooks. Alice has a different
0: um, phone call at her school. Right, because as Alice, as I recall, you all uh, your board voted when when Maine was encouraged to go iPad that your local board would pay more so you all could stay with with yeah. MacBooks. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. And our purpose for that
1: is because after the high, after oh. grade seven through twelve have them for four years we buy them out from the state and push them down to the lower grades. And that's how we've been able to be one-to-one grades two to 12.
0: So, Alice, your video went out just a little bit. There is a bandwidth adjustment that you can do at the top. If you click at the, at the top, uh, I don't know, maybe just maybe it may have been a temporary glitch in your video or we, but the audio bl- blipped just a little bit. So you said you've, You've moved some MacBooks across levels, and that's allowed you to stay one-to-one uh, MacBook at the high school?
1: Uh, grades 2 to 12, because we, we what we do is after four years, we lease the computers for four years. We then buy them out at the end of the lease, and so we push those down to grades 2 to 6. So that's allowed us to be one-to-one, grades 2 through 12.
0: Have you all put SSDs or solid-state drives in any of your MacBooks to... To lengthen the life of them as well?
1: Um, some of them, but not as many as we wanted to, and that was a financial thing. Yeah, we So, that. yeah, we would have liked to do that. Okay. But we're on the last year of this one, right? So we're just finishing four years again. So we'll now be able to buy out those MacBook Airs.
0: Okay. And do you give your teachers an option to buy those back, or what do you end up doing with them? No, we keep them all. In school and Moving them in the district. Yep. Yep. Very good. All right. Well, for all for anyone listening who is an Apple person, I love Apple, and we use our Macs. And yeah. There's uh, there are affordances to multiple platforms, and we've got um, you know, we're we're living in a multi-device world, right? I if you were to tell me, Wes, you can't have your phone, Wes, you can't have your laptop, you know, I, I, it wouldn't be like a small a small thing. So. We've talked on the show before. We're all sort of becoming cyborgs and we feel naked when we don't have our phone where it usually is or, you know, when we disconnect. So are there, before we do Geeks of the Week, are there any of the other articles um, that any of you looked at that you wanted to comment on? Or, again, I'm not sure exactly how long we've been going, but I think we're probably getting close to needing to do Geeks of the Week. I'm ready for Geeks of the Week. Okay. Well, all right. Why don't you take us to your geek of the week, Cheryl, and then Alice, you will, and then I'll I'll wrap us up with mine. Okey doke. Hey,
2: that's a little bit of a debate. For I have history class tomorrow, so very good. Um, yeah. Um, my geek of the week is Wordify. com, and I've used it uh, for a couple of years now, but this summer it was. Um, boost it up, and it has many more options. Basically, what you can do is you can take uh, uh, an article, uh, paste it into rewordify.com. There's a text box, and it will take uh, multi-some and put them into single letter words for students to understand. So it's good for your special ed population. It's good for your ELL students. And it's also, um, it also matches or pairs up the vocabulary that it um, can't down and gives you the, the words, the meaning, gives you some close activities that you can start using that vocabulary so that you can better your understanding of it. And so this summer, um, when it really was like on steroids, I looked into actually made research and this part is important too. I, 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 um, let's have the link to, to um, uh, and check out the blog of this man, um, oh, hang on, I'm gonna scroll down to his name, Neil uh, well, with a computer, uh, professional and wanted to do something more with it. So he went and taught suburban high school English class. And he said the first year of his teaching was the hardest. And then um, he wanted to do something for those students. And so he made and maintained ReWordify. So thank goodness for him as a coder to be able to make this um, piece of software that he gives all of us to use for free. you can also go through Rewordify and instantly get any, um, not copyrighted. So, Edgar Allan Poe, the, uh, self-reliant, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson. So, it's really manageable as a tool for teachers. But also, my students use it. When they are trying to read something that's too difficult, they just copy and
0: paste it right in there. <laughs> to, um, that one is on their own. So. Sign of the times. And it makes me think, Cheryl, of your um, your Google search stories that you were featured in, which I don't know that they – I think they took that away, right? That they used to – have a grade level or, or something that you could click on right, right within search right. results. What was, what was that that they had? Uh,
2: that was readability. The level of that. Yeah. yeah.
0: Right. Come
2: back.
0: So, and and probably a sign of the times. It's like, you know, you you can have your, um, your cliff notes or or whatever. I'm trying to spark notes now. Um, but, uh, anyway, that, wow. Great, great tool. Alf. what do you have for us this week?
1: Well, <clears throat> I found this tonight, actually, which was um, the new Google blog called The Keyword has a feature on it. for are strictly for education. And today there are some new time-saving features in G Suite for education. But uh, um, uh, um, there are some very cool features that I think teachers are going to love. The first one is that in comments now they've added action items. And so if you put in a comment and type in a student's email address to go with it, it will not only send them the email, but it will put on the document a little badge that shows that they have to do some follow-up work. And it actually takes them to that work. It's pretty cool. What? Yeah, yeah it's really cool. So it says for the example they use is to, to do a little piece of follow up, schedule a weekly check in. You assign that to them and it, and then it goes, there's a little badge on the document that it goes to. It's really cool. That's great. All right, yep. We're going to use that. I'm sure. Um, let's see. Then the next one is the, oh, that was the search, The the badge. Let's you search for the, um, action items in your Google Drive. So that's cool. You can just search out action items. Um, and then now in forms, they've added, um, it's word prediction. So the example that they use is what day of the week are your, you or your parents available? And forms will automatically determine that checkbox is the ideal question.
0: How's that? can you say a little artificial intelligence, little machine learning, exactly. a little virtual assistant?
1: <laughs> but here's the bonus on this one. They have now added the ability to upload a file to the form as you're answering the question.
0: Wow. Oh. So boom. As, an, as an attachment? Oh,
1: yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah, boom is right. Wow. <laughs> And this is worth the price of admission, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> week of the week with Allison Cheryl are gonna, yeah, always blow your mind. So awesome! How did you find? How did you find this?
1: Um, uh Twitter.
0: There you go. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, I'm not gonna elaborate at length on all these, but we have a very avid YouTuber now in our uh, in our home. Rachel is over 500 subscribers on her. What? On her Minecraft channel. So search for Rachel Artist. In fact, Rachel and I are both going to give TEDx talks, uh, next month in Enid, Oklahoma at a middle school TEDx event called TEDx Waller. And she's going to talk about, I think the title of her session is Tales from a Teenage YouTuber. But, uh, she has friends all over the world that she connects with on Instagram and YouTube and has played Minecraft with connected camps out of California and, uh, Anyway, we, we now pay a subscription fee. I think it's maybe five dollars a month for this library of thousands of copyrighted, uh, open songs. Well, it's actually yeah. licensed. And so because we, she has access to this, she has all these great songs and she doesn't have to worry about ever being taken down with copyright. And I mean, it's like it's pretty cool. So anyway, TubeBuddy I found, and I was passing that on to her. And it's a Google Chrome extension that gives you a lot of management tools for your YouTube channel. So you can bulk, do more, and and um, and do more management things. And and I really do think that having a YouTube channel uh, professionally and personally as a sandbox to experiment with and play with is a good thing as an educator, but. You know, for us to have them for, for our classroom, and this is the second year we've had a shared student projects YouTube channel to encourage teachers who, who are, are reluctant or just not sure, do I want to do my own YouTube, and say, hey, come on over here, and we can add them as a yeah. manager, or we've actually set up a separate, in some cases, student account that we let publish into that. So, uh, next thing is also googly. I've found this, um, I, group of Iowa guys that do the, they call it the GAFE admins podcast. So maybe now it'll be the the G suite for education <laughs> admins podcast. But, um, I just, you know, was listening to the first one. They did one at a recent Iowa conference and, and great stuff. And <clears throat> it's one of the things that, that my assistant tech director and I are both wanting to, to get you know, more information about are are the tools within the the admin panel. And then the very last thing, quickly, is that we have a digital citizenship team at our school, and we've been tasked to create a five-year strategic plan for digital citizenship by our headmaster. And in the course of those studies, um, this Providence Day School digital citizenship website, it was actually uh, shared last weekend by Sue Bearden, who is now a White House fellow for EdTech, and, um, it's just a, a, great resource. And I love how they're talking about at their school really working to change the vocabulary and, and the ways in which teachers are regularly talking about these things, not just in computer class or not just once a week, because it is, of course, digital citizenship week nationwide. Um, but throughout the year, because just like ethics. It's not yeah. something that's only reserved for the you know second week of October or whatever this is. It's something we need to be talking about all the time. So if you would like to access these amazing links and more, you can visit edtechsr.com slash links and check those out. Uh, we are here usually on Wednesday nights. We rolled earlier a little bit because of our wonderful uh, East Coast friends. But normally Jason and I are here at um, – at uh, 10 p.m. Eastern, uh, 9 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Pacific, and 7 p.m. Uh, I think I said that wrong. Uh, 8 p.m. Mountain and 7, 7 p.m. Pacific. Um, so to take us out, would, would you all just kind of like to tell us where people can find you online and where where you're sharing, thing, sharing things these days? How about you uh, first, Cheryl? Um, I don't blog very frequently, but
2: I'm CherylLokes.com. And I do some posting in Google and some posting with um, assistive technology on Twitter or just main
1: chats on Twitter.
0: And what is your Twitter? Cheryl Oaks 50. Cheryl Oaks 50. Okay. And how about you, Alice?
1: Alicebar.com is my blog. And at Twitter, I'm at Alicebar, all one word. And on Google, I'm plus
0: Alicebar. And that's more or less where I share. Yay, and I am W fryer on Twitter and speedofcreativity.org on the the blogs and uh I am so thankful that you all joined and well, thanks for you all <laughs> virtual hug and just uh so great to you all and and we'll have to yeah. have to do this again and we'll figure out what happened Cheryl there's some I know something weird that happened but hey we're problem solvers right we're- <laughs> Figure stuff out. So, for the record, we've we've had the iPhone on speaker, you know, called up to Cheryl, and we had a little um, echo, and the the earbuds solved. So, um, I, Cheryl always always ends her. We'll, we'll we'll let you take us out, Cheryl. What is your your closing uh, salutation? Oh, let's see. Uh, this is I'm
2: going to do some shout outs to people. This is Cheryl Oakes. Shout out to Miguel Gulin that you had on last week, I noticed, and uh, Jeff, here
0: we go, Hawk, and Dave Cormier, and all the guys that started, um, I kept talking about the web heads. All right, Alice, do you want to say goodnight? Thanks for having
1: uh, us on. It was really a pleasure. I want to give a shout-out to Peggy George, who's in the audience. Awesome. And uh, over and out from South Portland, Maine.
0: All right. And good night from Oklahoma City. Until next time.
1: All right. Thanks, ben.